Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. I was looking at uh, looking at some top 10 lists online. I ran across this top 10 list on social media this past week. A lot of people are on social media, and I, I got curious, like what are the what are the top 10 posts on social media? Like who has the biggest social media accounts in the world? Like what are the most watched videos? The most uh, liked tweets, like all of it. You ever got caught in a wormhole on Google? That that happened to me this week. So I'm just like unpacking all. First, first I want to know on Facebook, who has the most amount of friends on Facebook? Like the most friends in the history of Facebook. I thought maybe it was the founder of Facebook, and he like he's probably like got a bunch of fake followers because he's got to be that guy. Listen to this, man. At 150 million followers. There is a Portuguese soccer player by the name of Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, I'm, I don't even know if I said that right. I'm not even going to pretend like I care about soccer. Uh, you, <laughs> you lost me when you call it football. Like we, Our friendship ended right there. Um, but anyway, this famous soccer player has 150 million followers on Facebook, the most amount of followers of all time. You're not going to believe who has the most retweeted tweet in the history of Twitter. It's a college student by the name of Carter Wilkerson. So check this out. This dude loves chicken nuggets from Wendy's. And so he reached out to Wendy's on Twitter, and he messaged them directly, and he said, how many retweets would it take for me to get free chicken nuggets for a whole year? Crazy enough, Wendy's answered him directly. And they said, if you can get 18 million retweets, then we will give you free chicken nuggets for the whole year. So this college student took a screenshot of that direct message that they had uh, with Wendy's, and he sent this out. Help me, please. A man needs his nuggets. (laughs) And he included that picture. Now, look, he didn't get 18 million, but he has the most retweeted tweet in the history of Twitter at 3.3 million retweets. I hope that man got some free nuggets for that. Like, is that, that's good publicity right there. The, these, there is a lot of people that want you to have free chicken nuggets if you can get that many people just to, to retweet that, that picture. How about Instagram? What is the most popular photo in all of Instagram? The most liked photo on Instagram is a photograph of a chicken egg. The company did a publicity stunt where they took a photo of a chicken egg and they said, we would like for this to be the most liked photo in the history of Instagram. That photo spread and 55 million people have liked the picture of an Easter egg. I posted something the other day, I got 11 likes and two of them are my mom and dad. And I'm like, come on, man, what's wrong here? 55 million, it's a picture of an egg, just a chicken egg, just a regular chicken egg. Last, I looked it up on uh, YouTube. What's, what's the most viewed YouTube video of all time worldwide? If you're a parent, you're going to know this, and it's going to send a chill down your spine. It's actually a music video. The most viewed video on YouTube of all time is a music video. The song goes by the name Baby Shark. <laughs> 
9.2 billion views on YouTube. My kids put 2,000 of those on there. I guarantee that right now. Baby Shark, if you hadn't listened to it, you need to Google it. Like add another few hundred to the, to the mix there. The most uh, viewed video on, on all of YouTube. When we read stories in the book of Exodus, it's cool because we're actually, it's almost like we're getting some insight into Moses's social media account. I mean, like we get to see everything everything that they go through. Like we get to see the, the viral videos of, of where God split the Red Sea. Like that would have had a lot of views on it, right? That would have, have been pretty popular. Uh, we get to see the food pictures, right? What, what'd you eat for breakfast this morning, Moses? Bread, <laughs> again. What'd you eating tonight? Grilled quail, again, right? So he, we get to see all of those, all of those things. We, we get to see pictures of trips that they took because all this is is one big long trip. They, they left Egypt and, and now they're going to the promised land. And so every stop, every landmark, every little place, they will tell you about, well, here's where we are and this is what it looks like. And, and, and last week uh, we, we saw a little DIY. I don't know if you, you, you follow people like that on, on social media where it's the, the before and the after shots because last week we learned that they're building this huge tabernacle and, and so Moses is like, here's the ground before we started. And, and now 15 chapters later, here's the tabernacle and it's completely built. And, you know, look at what we did. We, we see pictures of Moses' friends and family along the way. But, but today, and I actually appreciate this about the Bible a lot. Um, the Bible is going to show us something that you would have never posted. This story would never be seen on your Facebook page. Uh, the video of Exodus chapter 32 would have never reached your TikTok account, would not have happened. Because you and I, we like to post uh, the good stuff, uh, the times where our kids are well-behaved and dressed and their hair is combed. We like to post the food pics where we're out at a really fancy restaurant or when we go on vacation. Uh, we like to post the highlight reel. But in the life of Moses and the Israelites in the book of Exodus, we don't just get the highlight reel. We get what we call the low light reel too. All of the mistakes, all of the bad days. Uh, we get the pictures of the messed up hair and the wrinkled clothes. We get those shots of you rolling out of the bed and you hadn't put makeup on yet. The, the pictures that no one is supposed to see. We get the pictures when you have leftovers out of the microwave and the meal wasn't even good the first time. And so, you know, the second time heated up is not, not very good at all. We get the pictures of the dirty house and when your kids are throwing a tantrum and where, where no one is doing anything that we're supposed to be doing. Those are the, the kind of pictures that God even includes in the Bible for us to learn. And, and this is actually a summary of Exodus chapter 32. This is one of the most embarrassing moments for the Israelites, God's people, and for Moses as a leader. This is where they get caught red-handed, doing something that they shouldn't be doing. This is the moment where this long history of their faith with God comes crumbling down. And in Exodus chapter 32, you and I are going to have a front row seat to their failure. And I love so much that the Bible doesn't just take out the, the sections of Scripture that make people look bad, and, but just gives us the whole story because there's so much that we can relate to. So here's, here's the backstory of Exodus chapter 32. Uh, occasionally, Moses and his right-hand man, Joshua, would go up to the top of Mount Sinai and have a conversation with God. 
Now, I'm not talking about a conversation that you and I have with God. I'm talking about a dialogue, a face-to-face. Moses says something, and then God audibly answers him, and Moses speaks back, and then God audibly answers him again. That's how God spoke to his people. Moses was the messenger, and he had a dialogue, a conversation, face-to-face with God. Well, when Moses would go up to the top of the mountain, obviously the people were anxious. Not only was their leader not there, um, but let's be honest, if one of your friends or family members had a face-to-face conversation with God, you'd probably be interested in what they said. What did God say? What did he say about me? What did he say about the future? What's the plan? What's going on? So anytime Moses left, the people would get anxious and the people would get nervous about the future, didn't know what to expect. And this particular time when Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai having this face-to-face conversation with God, he was gone for 40 days. Over a month, these people are standing at the bottom of the mountain wondering where their leader is, wondering what God is going to do next. Well, over these 40 days, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Scripture says that the very hand of God wrote the rules into the stone tablets. And so Moses is at the top of the mountain, been there for 40 days. Who knows when he's coming back? Who knows what the future holds? Who knows what is next? And in in verse 1, we realize what the people are doing. See, sometimes uh, your faith can falter a little bit. These people's faith were waning a little bit. They said, where is Moses? What is God doing? When are we going to make it to the promised land? I don't know if you can relate to that or not. A season where your faith seemed a little shaky, when there were some things going on in the life and in the world around you that caused you to to possibly doubt and for your faith to to get a little bit weak. We're going to read that here in chapter 32. The very first verse gives us some insight into why their faith was so weak at this moment. Verse 1 says this, "When, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Here's the scene. Have you ever had a crisis of faith in your life? Have you ever had something happened that really tested your spiritual grit and tested what you believed about God and what you believed about God's word? Of course, the answer for everyone in this room is yes. Have you been alive the past year? Of course faith has been tested. Of course there have been times where we struggled with who are we going to listen to and who are we going to trust and what does the future hold for this. And and in this one verse, I want to show you some of the most common reasons why your faith and my faith and their faith actually struggled. If your faith has gotten weak, if your faith has been tested, if if there's just been some uncertainty in your life and in your spirituality, your relationship with God, we see in these verses the top three. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot these down. Here's Here's number one, number one thing that will test your faith and your relationship with God, delays. Delays. I hate to wait. And... We experience delays in our life, but when it is a divine delay, that can really rock your faith. Do you see what verse 1 it says? It says, when they saw how long it was taking. Where are you at, Moses? God, where are you? When are you going to come down? When are you going to give us the word? When are you going to tell us what the future holds? 
How long we, Moses, been 40 days, man. You've never been gone this long before. Could be another 40 days. You know how many days it is? It's frustrating to, to look up and to wake up and Moses isn't here and we don't know what's going on. Like, can you relate to that? How many times you've prayed a prayer and you don't seem to get an answer? How many times have you asked God to open up a door and you're staring at the door and it's still closed tight? How many times have you asked God to make a way to show you what's next, to, to bring healing in a relationship and to restore something in your life and it seems like there's a delay? How long do you have to pray? Well, if you catch yourself in that situation long enough, here's what happens. Over time, your faith in God can erode and it can become unstable and the foundation can become challenged. And the longer we wait on God, the longer we will start asking ourselves this, God, are you even real? God, are you there? God, do you care? God, do you even see me? Do you even want me to be happy? Do you want me to thrive? Do you want me to have purpose? Do you want me to move forward in my life? The people eventually got tired of waiting on Moses and their faith and their trust in God began to erode because of that. The second thing we see here is it challenges your faith, my faith, is when there's a loss of control in your life. These people felt out of control. And I, like, I'll be honest with you, when there are times in my life where I feel like things are out of control, it's scary, right? I mean, I want to know. I want to know what the next steps are. I, I want to know like what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. I want, I want clarity on those types of things. Like when it feels like you are wandering and just stumbling through life, through your marriage, through your career, through your relationships, like we don't like that feeling. And if you stay there long enough, then here's the tendency that we have. We will try to gain control and wrestle control away from God any way that we know how. Here's, here's what the scripture says. It says, come on, they said, make us some gods. I'm tired of waiting. God's not going to move. So we're going to take matters into our own hands. And there's a tendency in your life and in mine where we will actually wrestle control away from God. God, you obviously don't care. You've been, Moses has been gone for 40 days. We haven't heard from you. So like, I don't know if anybody is driving this car, so I'm going to drive it. And I'm going to start making the decisions. And I'm going to start doing things in my life that, that I love and that I want to do that will at least give me some control over the future and will let me know that something is going to happen. I'll make my own gods. If I can't find you, God, if you won't answer me, I'll make my own God. And I can see my own God anytime. And I can talk to my own God at any time. And I'll never have to wait on you again. And here's what happens. When our faith gets tested, we will actually begin to push God away and say, you better let me drive. You better let me take control of this area of my life, God, because you don't know what you're doing or you're not doing it. I'll be the one to make decisions for me from here on out. And instead of reminding ourselves that God is in control, that God has a plan, that God loves us, that we have to learn how to trust in his timing. We will jerk the wheel of our lives away from God and we'll begin to drive away from the faith that we worked so hard to establish in him. The people looked at, at Aaron and said, come on, it's time to take matters into our own hands. I'm tired of feeling like we are out of control. The third thing is maybe, maybe the worst thing they felt a sense of uncertainty. 
and you want to know what a crisis of faith looks like in your life, let something happen that paints uncertainty in the future. Get a bad doctor's report where you don't know what the future holds and see how your faith will get challenged. Have a tough season in your family's life, in your kids, or in another relationship that you have where the future is uncertain and see how that tests your life. Lose your job and see how the uncertainty about how you're going to provide for your family and what you're going to do with your career will actually test your faith and your relationship with God. And that's what these people were. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when Moses is going to come back. We don't know how we're going to provide for ourselves. We don't know how our marriage is going to make it. We don't know what the future of our kids is going to be. We don't know how long the virus is going to be around. There's so much uncertainty, God. Moments like that will challenge your faith, and it'll test you. No doubt, people in here, me, you, we've been tested over this past season, and the fear of what we do not know can quickly replace the faith that we used to have in God. Unpacks it right there in in that first verse, the top three reasons. Well, you can imagine that's a recipe for disaster right here. So here's what Aaron, uh, how he responds. So Aaron said, verse two, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf so that they could worship this golden baby cow. And then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Well, that escalated quickly. That very quickly got out of hand. This thing is off the rails, man. But that's exactly what happens when you choose to take the faith that you once placed in God and begin to place it in something else. Because here's the deal. Everyone is going to put their faith in something. Your faith will not be in nothing And what happens when you take your faith away from the faith that you have in God is now you are in a mad scramble to find what you can put your faith in. Maybe it's in you, maybe it's in your relationships, maybe it's in your job, maybe it's in your finances. For these people, the first thing they thought of was, let's put our faith in a statue of a baby cow made out of melted earrings. Okay. Interesting that that's what you thought of. Meanwhile, Moses is at the top of the mountain talking to God. Moses has no idea what's going on below, but God does. And you can imagine the conversation got cut short. (laughs) Verse 7, here's what God said. The Lord said to Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Check this out. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Did you catch that? God looks at Moses, knows exactly what's going on, even though Moses can't see it. And he looks at Moses and he says, your people. That's a classic parenting move right there. Fellas, you know what I'm talking about. Has your wife ever called you and and said, hey, uh, I just heard, I got a call from the teacher. You won't believe what your son did at school today. 
And that's when you, let me tell you what to say during that time. That's when you need to hit the pause button and say, well, wait, what do you mean by your son? Because when that kid was conceived, I distinctly remember you being there. So don't, don't bring me this, your son, my son. Just because he's in trouble doesn't mean he's my son. This is our son. So what are, like, what are we going to do about it? God says, your people. He's like, not my people. But God doesn't say that to shift the blame. He says that because he said, the people have obviously decided that they are going to place their faith, not in me, but in another God, which means they are not my people anymore. They belong to the golden calf that they've made. So he doesn't blame shift. He doesn't say, not my problem. He says, you made a decision about where you are going to put your faith, and both of those have consequences. So Moses and his right-hand man, Joshua, obviously go running down the mountain. They're trying to to figure out what they got to do about this crisis. In verse 19, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder, threw it in the water, and forced the people to drink it. Whoa, slow down, Moses. (laughs) Moses is furious. He is livid. He gets down to the mountain. He sees that the the people are drunk and partying. He sees the golden calf. And in scriptures, he has the Ten Commandments in his hand, these two tablets. Moses goes karate kid on these things, breaks them over his knee, throws them down, got this crazy look on his face like, what are you doing? That's actually not in the Bible. That's how I read it. They broke. I don't know how they do it. It could have been a karate kid, but I don't know. They broke. He dropped them. He was furious and mad at the decision that the people had made. Moses does what every great leader does. He goes directly to the person that was in charge. Verse 21, finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? See, Moses had left Aaron in charge while he and Joshua went up to the mountain. And I can imagine Moses being a great leader probably would have sat Aaron down before he left and said, listen, Aaron, you got one job, okay? I'm going up to talk to God on the mountain. Here's your one job. Just don't let the people do anything crazy while I'm gone. Don't let them do anything stupid, okay? That's the only job. You don't need to make any big decisions. You don't need to build anything. You don't need to tell them to go anywhere. Just make sure they don't do the wrong thing while I'm gone. I'll be back Aaron, and then essentially, like he looks at me, he's like, hey, you done messed up, Aaron, right? Like, what is going on here? Why, bro, you had one job. You had one job. And and, and like, I know I told you, don't let anything crazy happen, but everybody is drunk, running around naked, worshiping a golden cow. I would say that's crazy, okay? Like, you should have known Moses is not going to be happy about that when Moses comes back. What do you have to say for yourself? Like, explain yourself to me. Like, I'm curious, how did this happen? And these next few verses are important for us because just like Aaron, when our faith falters, when we choose to put our faith off of God and onto something else, we have the exact same responses when our life falls apart. Here's what what he said in in verse 22. Explain yourself, Aaron. Tell, Tell me what happened. Here's what Aaron said. Listen to this. 
Don't get so upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Crazy story, Moses. First thing he does, is first thing that you and I do as well, when we get caught, when we understand our plan failed, when we know that we put our faith away from God and we put it into something else and now we're paying the negative consequences, here's the first thing that'll happen. First response, we downplay it. Do you see what Aaron did here? Don't get so upset, bro. <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. Okay, so we had a bender last night, all right? So everybody's hammered. So everybody's naked. So there's a golden cow that we're worshiping. Chill, bro. It's not that big of a deal. We can clean this up. We can, we can put this mess back together. It's okay. Can you believe? He looked at, Mer at Moses and said, don't be so upset. Isn't that just like us, though? Think about our responses over the past 12 months. Oh, well, God, I, I didn't know how to respond. God, we were in unprecedented times, okay? No one has ever been through this before. God, listen, there was, there was so much uncertainty. Well, I didn't know how long it was going to last. I didn't know what could have happened. Come on, like it's not that big. I mean, a lot of other people did this too, right? And we look at God for the mistakes that we made because we put our faith in someone or something else other than him and we begin to downplay it. God, I was just trying to do the best I could and take control of the situation that seemed to be out of control. Moses, don't go so upset. Second thing is this, we blame others. Our decisions can't be our fault. And so we look for someone else to blame. Here's what the people said. Uh, Aaron said, you yourself know how evil these people are. They said to me. So Aaron, like the people are over here, Moses and Joshua are over here. Aaron's like cheating over here. He's like, you know, you know those people over there, they wanted me to... They're the ones that asked me to do this. They threw all their gold rings at me. They wasn't my, I didn't want to do this, Moses. You told me not to do anything. I didn't want to do it. They blamed me. Isn't it interesting, the dichotomy? Moses was on the top of the mountain listening to God, and Aaron was on the bottom of the mountain listening to the people, and they got two totally different results. The Bible says that faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so if your faith comes through hearing, who are you listening to? Yeah, but, but, uh, but God, this is what they told me to do. This is what the government said was right. The politicians said we had to. My neighbor's said if I didn't do this, then that means I don't love people. No, but God, you got you to understand, the news people were reporting this. <laughs> who are you listening to? Because who you are listening to impacts your faith. 
And who you're putting your faith in impacts your physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, and mental life. Be careful. Be careful. Third thing he did, after he blamed someone else, after he tried to downplay it, the third thing is cover it up. That's what we try to do, man. We get caught red-handed or, or get caught knowing that now it's our fault. There's no one else we can blame. It doesn't make any sense. We try to, to cover it up. Here's what Aaron said. I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now, here's the, here's the deal, God. I just threw it into the fire. You ever seen the Lord of the Rings? I just wanted the ring to go in the fire, man, Frodo. And I, like, <laughs> it wasn't my rings. I was just like, take the rings, throw them in the fire. I didn't want to... I'm not a big jewelry guy, okay? Like, I'm not like these rappers. They got their gold chains and their bling bling. I don't like jewelry. I told them to throw it in the fire. I took the rings, threw it in the fire, and you won't believe what happened next, Moses. I'm walking away, and a golden cow walks out of the fire. Crazy. Not my fault. I didn't want to do it. I know it sounds weird, but that is what happened. We'll begin to cover it. Oh, no, I didn't ask him to give it to me. Oh, no, I didn't carve the golden image. Oh, no, I didn't build the altar for everyone to worship. God, it just happened. It just appeared. Man, this last year has been a blur. I don't know what happened. It just happened. I'm just glad to be on the other end of it. It's easy to laugh and make fun of them, but what happens when it's not a story anymore? What happens when it's real for you and I? What happens when we realize that maybe we placed our faith in the wrong thing and we were listening to the wrong people and we tried to yank control out of God's hands who had never lost control and we got tired of waiting and so we decided to move on our own. Here's what happens when, when we make the decision to do that. Man, how relevant is this? Verse 25, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control much to the amusement of all of the enemies of Israel. Moses reminds us of the irony. And here it is. When you and I feel like life is out of control and we decide to take our faith off of God and put it into something else, what that will always leave you with is the thing that you are trying to avoid in the first place. God, it feels like my life is out of control, so I'll take the wheel away from you. Verse 25, and Moses looked down and saw that everything was out of control. And the very thing you are mad at God for not giving you and you take away from him is what you end up getting when you take your faith and place it in something other than God. Please don't make it again. Don't go down the same road again. Don't falter again. Don't take your faith away from the only one that can give you stability, the only one that can give you control, the only one that has a timetable and a purpose for your life, and wrestle it away and wreck your life. And Moses looked at the people and said, man, uncertainty is what you were afraid of, and now that's all you have. Control is what you wanted so badly, and now everything is out of control. Timing is what you are waiting on, and now you have messed up your future. We've got to figure out what the solution is. How in the world is Moses going to fix this problem? When your faith gets displaced, you end up receiving the very thing that you were attempting to avoid. 
in verse 30, we see what Moses is going to do. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and he said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves. But now, God, if you will only forgive their sins. God, I know they messed up. I know that it wasn't you that caused their faith to stumble. Like they just took the faith away from you and put it in something else. And now their life is a wreck. Now it's in shambles. Now they're experiencing pain and shame multiplied of what they thought they would ever experience. Like, God, would you forgive their sins? And listen to this last word. But if not, erase my name from the record that you have written. Moses, in an incredible act of leadership and selflessness, instead of pleading for judgment and justice, Instead of looking at God and saying, I pray that they would have to pay for their sins, God, teach them a lesson. God, they spit in my face for making that golden calf when you have proven yourself so faithful time and time again. God, like, make the justice reign. Bring the hammer down. That's what they deserve. It. You did that. That's what they deserve. And instead of that, Moses stands in front of God and asks for forgiveness on behalf of the people. Moses didn't make a mistake. People did. And Moses comes up to God and says, um, please forgive them, God. They don't deserve it. And then, in a crazy twist, Moses looks up and says, but God, based on what they've done, I can see how you would be unwilling to forgive them. Sin must be dealt with. There's always a price that has to be paid. instead of them being punished punish me take my life wipe my name off of the history books kill me right now on the top of this mountain if that means your people can have a real relationship with you if that means that their sins can be forgiven if that means that they can move forward and have a future and have a hope at that moment Maybe God said, one man paying for the sins of others. I like that. Just not now. See, Moses didn't even realize that he was simply a precursor to what Jesus was going to do. God even knew at this moment that Jesus would one day come and be a better Moses. That Jesus would stand in front of God and plead for the forgiveness of sins on behalf of the ones that had turned their backs on God. And that Jesus, the one that had no fault, the one that had no sin and no shame, would one day pay the price for all of the sins of the people so that they could have a relationship with God. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus became the better Moses. And when Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and for me, it allowed us to have access to God. It allowed our sins to be forgiven. It allowed us to have freedom and a hope and a future and have a personal relationship with God, the same of the kind that Moses enjoyed in Exodus chapter 32. 
All morning, our crew has been praying that the Holy Spirit would help you know what to do with the words that you just heard. Maybe it's an opportunity this morning for God to shine a light in your heart and life and to know what you need to do. Show you the areas where maybe your faith has been placed in other things or other people and and your life is headed down a road of destruction. Maybe by the grace of God, he shows you that this morning and you have a chance to recommit your faith to him. Maybe you look back over the past season and, and the Holy Spirit shows you some ways that you need to repent of sin where you listened to the wrong people and you made the wrong decisions and right now you are sitting in the negative consequences of it and by the grace of God, he says, you can change that today. Your future doesn't have to be defined by your past. The next season doesn't have to be the same as the season you're getting ready that you just came out of. Like you can change, it can be a, a change today. Place your faith in Jesus today, whether it's for the first time or you need to renew that faith. What do you need to do in response to what you have just heard? Don't let your faith falter. When there are times where you're uncertain and you're scared and you're fearful and you don't know what the future holds, that is the time to lean into God, not to push away from God. So I want to pray for you. And I want to pray believing that with the lessons that we've learned today, this next season, I don't know what it's going to hold. I don't know what, there's so many uncertainties, but you know what? That's all right, because God knows exactly what the future is. And he's got a purpose and a plan. And he can pull it all together for his name's sake and for your benefit if you would simply be willing to put your faith in him today. Let me pray for you. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we've just heard. And no matter how hard that response is, no matter how difficult, no matter how much humility it takes, no matter what the next steps are that we need to take, God, help us to take the opportunity that is sitting in front of us right now, to seize it, to not waste it, to not hit the the replay button, the next season of what we went through in the past season. God, help us to secure the foundation of our faith because you are faithful, you are trustworthy, you are good, you have a plan, you are in control. And all we need to do is set our eyes upon you and take the next step this morning. Help us to know what that next step is and to be bold in taking it right now. God, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for the chance to learn from this story. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.